When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Very excited about today's show. This is a piece I read every year, have read it every year since it came out. It's one of a, it's a staple for me. It's an off-season staple for me, no matter what company is running it. And now it just so happens that I work at the company where it runs. Mike Sandoz, Quarterback Tears, and here to talk about it is the man himself. Mike, thank you very much for doing this. I'm really excited to get, dig into this with you. Oh, me too. This is going to be fun, Rob. Appreciate the praise. And, and it's it's really, uh, it's a, it's two ways on that. Love working with you. You do great work and great podcast. Let's roll. Let's get, get going on this thing, huh? So I'm, I want to talk about the methodology a little bit first for people that are unfamiliar with the piece. If, if you guys are, I highly encourage you to check it out. Again, this is something I've read every year since it came out. I believe you've been doing it since 2014. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So just walk me through both how you do it, how you actually gather the information, and then what the tiering system actually yeah. means. What does tier one yeah. mean? What does tier two mean? Just for people that don't have a huge background with this. Yeah, well, we'll start out with the tiering part. Uh, and so basically, a, a tier one quarterback is the best kind of quarterback, needs the least amount of help, can handle the most difficult situations better than the others. So, you know, historically, Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, those are guys who not only can put up great numbers, a lot of guys can do that. We'll talk about that. Uh, but you know, in a pure pass situation. Okay. Suddenly our play action game is not there. We're down in the game. You know, we just have to throw it more than normal. The situation becomes harder. That guy handles it really well all the way down to tier five, which would mean, Hey, I don't even think this guy's a starter. And in between is sort of, if we look at tier three, think maybe over the course of his career in Andy Dalton, he's a good pro quarterback, but really he only won when they were pretty stacked on offense and Cincy and had a good defense. He's a good quarterback in that context might go to a pro bowl. But we can tell, the, the people in the league certainly can tell, He's even if he has a great year where his stats are similar to Mahomes, we don't confuse the two, okay? Uh, because we know the context that goes into that. Methodology-wise is I will talk to 50 people in the league that are general managers, head coaches, coordinators, position coaches, other front office type people, evaluators, executives, those types. And I will go through each quarterback with every one of those people individually, privately. And I will say, if you're Coach Mays, I would say, all right, Coach, I've got these arranged um, in alphabetical order by team. We will start with Arizona, okay? Kyler Murray, where would you put him? What tier? And, and then Coach Mays would say, you know, I think he made the step to a two. I think he's a two this year. I, I'm excited about Kyler. I think he's got a chance to become a one. I mean, he hasn't earned that yet. Uh, I think he faded a little late last season. Still have some question marks about him. I mean, I think if you're an undersized player, you have to have that sort of Russell Wilson mentality and work ethic to overcome it and become great. We'll see if he has that 
you know, you hear some things left or right, you know, th this or that. That's the type of discussion we would have. And we might talk for eight minutes on Kyler Murray, or we may just go quickly to the next one. But I'll do that for 50 different voters. And at the end, I will have each voter's tier for each of the veteran starting quarterbacks. And at the end, I'll, I'll sort them in the order and we'll go through, hey, hey, Rob, here's your ones. And you might say, you know, so-and-so doesn't belong in that. I'm going to bump him down to two. So there'll be a process of interaction like that with each of the voters that then gives me a great feel for not only what they're voting, but how. And then I will, over months, meld that all together into a piece that I try to make representative of the group, what they think. There may be a positive and a negative comment in there on a, on a quarterback, right? I try to balance that out, be fair about it, but also be incisive and candid and, and uh, funny sometimes too. <laughs> I'm curious, how much of the voter pool stays consistent from year to year? Because you'd probably want new voices in there, but it also probably help to have at least some of the people know what yeah. the process is like. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if I had to guess year to year, I mean, I would say at least half of it would carry over from one year to the next. But if we went back five years, I would imagine, you know, there's a lot of turnover. Um, I think that's some, right, though. I think that's exactly how you should do it, because you yeah. want to probably refresh it with new ideas and new voices and new thoughts every year. So it's not just the same group and the same group think all the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, sometimes sometimes a person's ballot tells us as much about them as it does about the quarterbacks. I, absolutely. And there's different types of people that like different flavors of ice cream. And you can tell what some sometimes I can get five in and I could maybe fill out most of the ballot. You could tell what type of, you know, I already know who the person is. I already know what they do. You might have a feel for what their orientation is. Like sometimes a quarterback coach likes is more specific in what type of quarterback he likes. Well, that's why we don't do 30 quarterback coaches. You know, I, I, have, <laughs> I might have seven of them in this, this year or something, and it might be five next year. Some of it is hey, who can I get a hold of, right? Uh, but I always try to have seven, eight GMs, five, six head coaches at least, you know, 10, 15 coordinators. That gives you people that are that are seeing the whole game plan, right? Or, or you know, you're talking to – people in front offices who've at least seen the teams as opposed to you know someone who's sort of in their little rabbit hole. Is there a difference between the quarterbacks that an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator would rank highly? A little bit. So defensive coaches, especially as you get further away from the line of scrimmage, and let's face it, a lot of the, the coordinators have secondary backgrounds, are the harshest guys, man. They see right through a guy and just tell them, I figured as much. He, they say this guy, this guy ain't shit. He doesn't scare me. I mean, this guy's this guy's <laughs> when this guy drops back to pass, I'm worried about can we tackle him? This guy ain't gonna slice and dice us in the pure pass game. Even if he's an upper tier guy, they'll say that sort of thing about some good quarterbacks. They're very brass tacks, you know, very harsh. And I, I noticed this too. One year, uh, one year I thought, you know what, I'm gonna do this with some players. And like those DBs, I mean, they just cut right to the heart, <laughs> right to the truth. <laughs> Uh, about these guys. And that, that's kind of fun and refreshing. So since 2014, I'm curious, what is the biggest change in the exercise and what has become the biggest challenge? Because when you look at the list from 2014, it's all pure pocket passers. I mean, it starts with Peyton yeah. Manning and obviously Drew Brees is in there and Phillip Rivers. I think the complexion of the position has changed and it makes this exercise a little bit more difficult because it's you don't know exactly what to do yeah. with guys whose skill sets maybe aren't as traditional. 
Yes, but I still think there's a common thread that that ability to handle the pure pass situation, which means our running game really isn't a factor right now. We we have to uh, play two minute offense, and and the defense knows what we're going to do. Right, some element of that goes into tier one, and Russell Wilson didn't get to tier one until he showed he could do that. Right, early in his yeah. career, top defense, handing it off all the time. People loved him, but they're like, I'm not putting that guy up there with Aaron Rodgers who can hit the gas on his terms and really play that way out of that context. So when you look at somebody and we'll get to, you know, a Lamar Jackson, he has to be so freaking great in the other things to even get to the top of tier two. He didn't make tier one, even as MVP, because people know when we get into those situations or you get into a playoff situation where the game plans are, are better and they're going to make you play a little bit left-handed. Um, it doesn't go as well. You ha- he need he needs, he needs the, full context of 12 and 13 personnel and the running backs and the incredible scheme. You, you can't, when we get to just January, it, it looks different. It's harder. Sometimes they score 10 points in a playoff game. That would be rare for Mahomes or the guys who are really up there uh, uh, at the top. So that component is there, but there's no question. The uh, I think there's a, a little bit more of a dual threat ability in those guys at the top. Um, you know, certainly Mahomes, certainly Wilson, even Rogers, you know, not as much anymore, but he's a, he's somebody you're worried about the second play. Right. Um, I think that, you know, Deshaun Watson, he makes top tier. He he's, he, he barely made it in there because he's not quite those guys at the top. Hasn't proven it to the same degree, but there is certainly an element of being able to beat you more than one ways that Peyton Manning, uh, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, right? Those guys who were sort of the standard bears of tier one in 2014 can't do. And that may have started a little bit with Andrew Luck. You know, I think Andrew Luck was mm-hmm. tier one earlier than he was definitely thought. the one that jumped out when I was looking at those early tier ones of guys who yeah. move a little bit. He was the yeah. outlier for sure. There's more guys like that now. You know what I mean? There's just more yeah. guys who it's a, it's an important part. And I think teams have gotten better about using the full skill set and not just saying, this is my offense. This is my offense. If you can't, if you can't run it, you're out. I think that was a little bit more of the mentality 15, you know, 15 years ago. I totally agree. So let's stick with the guys at the top. There are two guys that were unanimous tier one vote getters, and it was Rogers and Patrick Mahomes. Rogers only had 46 tier one votes in 2020, but still pretty good. I will say this. Quarterback tiers has always believed in Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah. Even if there was some uh, the wavering belief from the general public or from a subsect of football writers, the tiers always believed that right. Aaron Rodgers was as high as you could pretty much get. I believe he was tied for first in six of the first seven years you did this. Last year was the first time he wasn't right. at least tied for first, and he was still third. And now, I think last season was a vindication for the way the quarterback tier sees Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, you know, it was funny. So I had these conversations with people. I'm like, hey, look, their production, if you just look at their offense, it wasn't as good, you know, for a couple of years there. And yet here, Rodgers, now he's a one. And so it actually led to a... It's so funny to me. But it it was the same way. That's how I see it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I didn't stop there because, like, I don't want people just... if if people are just saying he's a one and not looking at the games, then, then we're not doing a good exercise here, but that's yeah. not what people are doing. So it actually led to a series of stories for me. I, I really pressed one of my guys who was really adamant about this. I was like, well, let's watch some games then. you need to sh- tell me what we're talking about. Right. That's a great and response. So, it's a perfect yeah, way to do it. So it came up with this concept that I did uh, before last season. And it was the truth about Aaron Rodgers stats. 
And what we did was we charted every one of his incomplete passes. And we ended up doing it for 2014, his MVP year, 2019, when people thought Aaron Rodgers isn't the same. And 2020, by the end of the year, we did it again. We went back and did it. And a missed opportunity is what we were looking for. And that means not necessarily a drop, the ball bounces off two hands or goes through the hands and hits the numbers, but it's a it's a play that a pro receiver makes. Okay. So it, and the coach then has the nuance of, well, he slowed down his route there. Watch him here. He Rogers puts the ball right there. He's so it sort of fed into this idea that was that wasn't as the case in 2020 because his receivers played really well. But these guys were playing unusually poorly. And that was where that narrative was happening of you got to get weapons for Rogers, which this year wasn't an issue, but we charted the number of quote unquote missed opportunities in 2019. It was unbelievable. It was like two or three times as many as in 2014 and last season. So the case was made basically that, uh, well, yes, I think he played a little better last year. I do. I think, I think like on some of the shorter stuff, you could see um, there were just sometimes he dirted balls a couple of years ago. It was like, he was just a little casual maybe on the shorter stuff. I thought not a coach. That was just what I thought watching. Um, but there's a million other plays where he's making the same throws. You know, he's, I'll give you an example. 2019, I think they're playing at Chicago early in the year. Rogers rolls right. Guys are chasing him. And he's outside the numbers on the right side at about the 50-yard line. And he throws the ball to like the five-yard line across the other hashes, and it just hits Jimmy Graham in the face, hits him in the hands and drops. <laughs> it's one of the great throws you're ever going to see. No one can do it. It's incomplete. It hurt Rogers' EPA. His stats weren't as good. Well, last year, they're making plays for him. They, those guys played great. And so what changed the most? You know, he, Rogers probably changed some. I mean, he probably played a little better. But the quarterback tiers folks would say, no, no, Rogers has been fine the whole time. It, it, if you have an unusually good or bad supporting cast around you, it can change what the numbers look like and what things look like, right? I also think that there was probably – a feeling around the league that he was a little bit disengaged near the end of the McCarthy era where I think a lot of the guys in the locker room were a little bit disengaged. And I also think that when you talk to coaches around the league about him, it's always funny talking to offensive coaches and how they see certain offenses and certain quarterbacks because you know they'll talk about the Chiefs and just be like, well, we can't do that stuff. Like There are just elements of that offense we just can't do because of what Mahomes is. And there are elements of the Packers offense, like the RPO game, for instance, right? Like if you look at the RPO aspect of the Packers offense and compare it to the other offenses in that t- in that tree, it's completely different. The way the control that he has, the autonomy yeah. that he has, the imprint that he has on the offense is entirely different. Guys in the league know that. When they're watching the Packers play, they see his thumbprints all over what they're doing even if yeah. it's the Shanahan offense that Mike LaFleur or Matt LaFleur brought with him. So, I think that those are kind of the layers when you start talking to people that you start to understand and appreciate a little bit more and can't really understand looking at a box score. They're absolutely, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is controlling when they're calling timeouts or, or yeah, just yeah. the nuances of the offense. I'll give you, there's a funny one if you watch. When they um, run the ball and when they don't. Like the running game success is in part because he's deciding when to hand the ball off and when to run the ball. Absolutely. And, he, and he's completely aware of every aspect of the game that's going on. He can manage a game better than coaches. Okay. So I'll give you an example. I think it was uh, maybe in Lafleur's first year. I think they might've been playing Carolina uh, at Lambeau field. They're off to the side with Lafleur, and Lafleur's buried in his play sheet, right? I mean, here's Lafleur like this. And, you know, he's trying to get the right play. Well, Rogers is watching everything. The play clock's going to, the, the, the clock's going to expire. 
So Roger's just sitting there. He's watching coach. And then Roger's chops the timeout. I mean, Justin Herbert's not doing that. He doesn't even know. <laughs> he's not even authorized to do that. I'm not picking on Justin Herbert, but you know what I mean? Rogers is so in charge of everything. No one, more, very few people are authorized to do that. And that it really speaks to the control that he has a hundred percent. Absolutely. And that's why they get into these things where, you know, he can't help himself after the game on the play call when they, you know, when they don't go for it or whatever. And fourth down. I mean, he's so smart and so in charge of all of this that he has not only his own knowledge of what to do, he has his own opinions of what we should be doing. And he, and that's where you get the smirks and the comments. When you're talking to people about Mahomes, is the conversation like 10 seconds long? Do, do you even need to get into it? Yes, uh, it can be. If, I, if I'm not, so I learned this a little bit as I do go on this. It's like, don't let that happen because <laughs> you'll get to the end of your research. And you're like, should I never talk? Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. I never talked to anybody about him because it's, it's a one, so true, one. So I will ask people like, all right, Mahomes, what do you appreciate most about Mahomes? Okay. And that's you know, it what, though. It's, he, there's no yeah. debate. There's no tension. It's why is he so great is really the only question yeah. to ask. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, you know, I think people feel uh, we'll talk about him, but you know, his protection was starting with not this Super Bowl, but the Super Bowl before, you know, protection really affected him. It's amazing. He's been able to play the way he has, but if that gets fixed, I mean, he can be better next year. What aspects of his game do you think people are appreciating more? Are there little tiny nuances that you think have came up in your conversations more this year than they might have even last year? Oh yeah. I know. I think he's definitely his ability to read the defenses and um, have a little bit more of that Rogers kind of moxie, right? That just comes with experience. You can't, yeah. his talent's undeniable, but I think he's definitely grown in that area. People didn't know what his capabilities would be along those lines, right? Just looking at his offense in college and all of that. So there's no question. I think as I think for some people, he's already ahead of Rogers, but I think that distance is only going to grow as he gets the the seasoning and, and can sort of run the whole show, right? And is allowed to run the, the whole show the way Rogers does. Rogers does it almost arrogantly, right? And I think Mahomes is getting there, but you're just younger Roger it takes so much you, time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even like, I, I again, I, I've mentioned this in the last couple of shows we've done. I just finished Jeff Duncan's book about uh, Breeze and Peyton and just taught all of the examples about how they would build on stuff and how in 20, 2006, the offense looked so different than it eventually looked in 2020, not even schematically, but just the ways they could talk about it, the communication, how streamlined it was. Mahomes is still really young in quarterback life. You know, by the yeah. time Rodgers got to the final years of McCarthy, think about how many years he had played in that system. Think about how long Breeze and Peyton had played with one another. Think about how long Tom Brady had been in that offensive scheme and how much you can build on stuff. We're still in like year three and four of Patrick Mahomes doing this, which is remarkable. I mean, it's really, really impressive. And he will need to do that more because guess what? They're not going to have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey the whole time. You're not, those are unique players, especially Tyreek Hill. So there'll be a, you know, a shift of different types of uh, players that go through there and we'll get to see him do it anyway. I know that I'm excited about that. Just like what the various stages of his career look like and how he adapts to that. Cause that's what great quarterbacks do. That's what makes great quarterbacks is when you can have these little pockets of their career that you can imagine and the little differences between them. And I'm sure we'll have that with him. One yeah. guy who's had a ton of those is Russell Wilson. I mean, it feels like he's had six different careers and <laughs> last year he was unanimously tier one. I think he had all tier one votes this year. Only 46 of them. It's kind of he and Rogers flipped a little bit. Yeah. What did you see when your conversations about Russell Wilson? 
where were the doubts creeping in? What were yeah. the reasons that he wasn't that unanimous tier one guy this year? Yeah, he actually got uh, 10 tier two votes. So it was 40. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 40 I'm for sorry. him and 10. But um, Wilson, some people who faced him thought they started to see a little bit of a decline in, a, in his ability to make the great play consistently. And, you know, I think if you look at him, he he probably he's probably a little bit heavier from just trying to be durable, right, and, and prolong his career. And I think when you start talking about your protection and you start worried about getting hit, you become a different player. And so there was a little bit of fear of that among some people who faced him or saw him uh, late last season. And it's not a huge fear. I mean, it's just, just a, a few people, and they were people who had faced him, thought they saw a little bit of a difference in him. And and we'll see this year. You know, I, I still I still would put him in tier one, but I think he was – there's a difference between unanimous and being able to pick a few nits here or being able to see – something that looks a little different and let's face it second half of last year was hard for him and maybe maybe the scheme or whatever we there's other factors for that but it wasn't the same they played good defenses too i mean that's one thing people don't always take into account is they played a really run of really good defenses they were playing nfc east teams so they were getting washington you know the giants could make it look tough for you sometimes um that was the best game the giants played on defense last year i think that a huge portion of the excitement around the Giants defense, at least from my side, and I think from other people too, is what they did against the Seahawks in that game last year. I think it was their best performance. And also, they played the NFC West. Like You have to play against the Rams and the Niners twice, both yes. of whom have very good defenses, and I think both of whom had really good plans for how to deal with that Seattle offense last year. So, oh, no, no doubt. And you look in that division, I think this is one of the reasons they're, they went with Shane Waldron as the offensive coordinator. You know, there's Kyle Shannon and Sean McVay in the in the division. You're going against the high end of scheming, right? So Seattle maybe felt, hey, we gotta we gotta make sure we're a little more fine tuned. I'll be really curious where Wilson shakes out after this year. I think that and we're gonna talk a lot about this on the show over the next month or so. But some of the new play callers, some of the new offenses, what they might look like, how he fits into that scheme, and what aspects of that Rams offense are gonna come with Shane Waldron. I think that's a huge question because. We know the talent on that offense, right? We know how talented Russell Wilson is. We know the receiving talent that they have. How does that mesh with the way they want to play this year? To me, is a really important question. Absolutely. I mean, the quarterback movement stuff should be good. I mean, right? The 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 boots and 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 those sorts of things. He should. It be seems for. to fit him. I know Nate has said that consistently that he just thinks a play action heavy offense, getting him outside of the pocket where he can see a little bit, things are a little bit more defined. It does make a ton of sense. Totally agree. Now, Now we'll just have to see what it looks like in practice. So sticking in tier one, if last year gave people some pause about Russell Wilson, the opposite happened with Tom Brady. I mean, you look at it last year. He only had 22 tier one votes last year. Now he's closer to unanimous tier one than he is to tier two with the way that the voting broke down. It makes perfect sense to me because I think in a lot of ways, last year is the most impressive season Tom Brady's had. I don't know, I mean, close to a decade when you consider the team change, everything else, and how well he played, especially down the second half of the season. I am not surprised at all that it was this tilted toward all of those tier one votes and him being back in that top, top echelon. I know, you know, people sort of anticipate the end, you know, with it was tough last year in New England, and we can we know that there were issues there, right? There, there, the 
what was around him wasn't good. I mean, that that was a fact. But you just know at a certain point. I mean, he's not going to play when he's 60, right? So well, you, you just you say of, that now. Yeah, exactly. But he's changing. You know, cha- I think the uncertain what happened the last year of New England and then changing. And even now, even now, people, that, some of the people that give him a one sort of almost feel like there's a that it's a high two because they do think they know they had a great defense there. They feel like he needs a little bit more of a run game balance than he used to, that you wouldn't want to just have him have it on his shoulders all the time as much. But but he did. He did last year, though. That's what's so impressive is that yeah. I think if we're talking about this and we're, you're talking about what the tier system means, yeah. where this is a guy who can carry it and yep. it, that's exactly what he showed last year. Is that he could walk into a situation? He had the highest average depth of target in the NFL last season, and was getting rid of the ball in like two point four seven seconds. The degree of difficulty in that offense is immensely high, and for him to pull it off that high wire act in his first season with I know the talent is very good on that offense. I know, but I still think that what he did is insane. Uh, I think it's underappreciated. I I think I think. People don't realize how freaking hard it is to win a Super Bowl, just to win one. I mean, there's great coaches. Andy Reid went like 20 years, and he's the best coach. All of his guys play – all the quarterbacks for Reid play better than they do for someone else. He's amazing, and he finally wins one when he has Mahomes. For for Tom Brady to just show up at a place that that really – they weren't close to winning the Super Bowl. They couldn't even – they weren't even in the playoffs. You show up and win the whole thing. And by the way, you played Mahomes in the, I know they had their issues and stuff, but that is really hard and impressive to do. To just show up somewhere and win the championship? Who does that? I mean, this is, I understand that their defense was really good down the stretch, right? Like, I'll readily admit that. They were the most efficient passing offense in the league over the second half of the season. Tom Brady at age 42 threw for 4,600 yards and 40 touchdowns touchdowns. while completing two thirds of his passes. Like I absolutely see him in a different light now than I did going into last season. And maybe that's just, it's human nature. You, You watch a guy just be so mindlessly great for so long. And then you see the decline coming and think this makes sense, right? Like, Maybe Tom Brady at this stage of his career just isn't that good anymore, and we'll see this peter out, and maybe he's a little bit better in Tampa, but I still don't think he's the same guy. He was incredible last year, and I he think that be the voting I think the voting indicates that. I think that's exact it, it totally reflects that shift, I think, in the same way that me and a lot of other people underwent over the last year watching what Tom Brady did with the Bucs. It sounds silly to think that this this was this was actually greatly enhanced his legacy in our eyes. I totally agree. And it shouldn't have had to, <laughs> it right? Shouldn't have to. It shouldn't have to, but I just, I think it's just natural to have your eyes glaze over and just be like, ah, you know, it's, it's Tom Brady. I'm not, it's not interesting to me anymore. And I think <laughs> yeah. last year injected some of that interest back into him for me. What I love about this year in the NFL in general is we have, the people changing environments, right? We have Stafford. He's been in Detroit. Well, let's see him with McVeigh. Oh, we're going to want to talk about Stafford and he should be tier one or Carson Wentz. Oh, the Eagles screwed him. Okay. Then go to Indy and do it. It's like, you got to do experiments. It it's football yeah, experiments yeah. left yeah. and right. I mean, you have these control group situations where yeah. it's like, all right, same guy, different environment. And I'm very excited to watch and, all of that. 
And Brady does that and wins it all. I know. <laughs> and plays extremely well doing it. This yeah. wasn't like 2001 Patriots stuff where yeah. he's throwing the ball 16 times a game. I mean, he's slinging <laughs> yeah. it 45 yeah. times a game and with high degrees of difficulty. It's yeah. bonkers stuff. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So let's get to tier two here, but a guy who is very close to tier one. If you look at it, there's a very dramatic cutoff from in tier two. There's only one person who received more than four tier one votes, and that's Josh Allen, which kind of shows that he is yeah. the next possible guy, right? He is the closest He's closer to one. tier one than tier two. He has more exactly. tier one votes than the rest of the guys below him combined. Exactly. So yeah. he is very much like the next guy. He is the one yeah. on the cusp. So when you were talking to people about Allen, I'm curious about the argument on both sides. Yeah. Why were there people who thought he belonged in tier one and deserved mention along those guys ahead of him? I think enough people thought he played at a tier one level last season to put him there. But the people who didn't just want to see it another year in light of what came before. Right. So he was 22nd. In 2020, during in the in the tiers, he ranked 22nd. He was yeah. behind Baker Mayfield and Derek Carr. Oh, I know. it's a it's a huge jump. I mean, obviously, we know that we know he plays so much better. But when you look at it in those terms, yeah. it is stark. And you have to uh, to get into tier one. You, I mean, it's sort of it's sort of like getting into the Hall of Fame or something. You know, you you don't just get in usually off of one year. Even when you know when Matt Ryan won the MVP, he got close. When Lamar Jackson won the MVP, he got close. Uh, but to actually get in there and have most people say it, you got to do it like again. You got to back it up, yeah. not be MVP again. But you know, tier one is we should give these definitions anyway. A tier one quarterback can carry his team each week. The team wins because of him. He expertly handles pure pass situations. He has no real holes in his game. So Josh Allen we solved the accuracy hole last year, and maybe that continues. But if there's still a hole in his game for me. It's in the wild card playoff game, taking an 18 yard sack with the game on the line and fumbling and your team recovers or else the same narratives are there the whole off season. Right. And then you go out the next week and you score 10 points on Baltimore. Right. It's not like you had a, you scored 10 points on offense and you lose by two touchdowns the next week. So there's, there may be a little bit more for him just to validate it, do it again. But I think he's, he made such a spectacular jump. Those quote unquote accuracy gains, right? If you just measure them loosely and completion percentages at all levels of the field are like, people are like, all right, I need to see that again because I've never seen that before, you know? Even within the season last year, it felt like that where you have that first month and think, well, there's no way this can be sustained just because quarterbacks improve, right? They undeniably do. But to be so inaccurate on deep passes in 2019 and then just be lights out for almost the entire season last year, that's really difficult. And I think that's it comes back to the conversation we've had about Josh Allen so many times and why I think there will be some mistakes that are made in light of Josh Allen's success and that we haven't seen a quarterback improve like this. Not in this way. Quarterbacks improve, but to get this much better and this much more accurate 
at, in the intermediate area and then in the deep area of the field, just some of the things that he can do, it really is unprecedented in the ways that we've seen him get better specifically. And I think that's why there can be a little bit of dissonance with understanding, all right, how much of this is real? How much of this can sustain? Can he get even better? Because I still think people are sorting through and trying to process yeah. what's happened with him over the last two years. Absolutely. Like, I think most people that I talk to think he's going to have another good year, but like, it wouldn't be shocking if he fell off. Right. I mean, it wouldn't be a shock if he played a little bit more like he did in the past. Um, it would be, a, but it would, I think it'd be a surprise. I think, I think people feel good about him. I, I tend to agree. I think that if you look at some of the numbers under pressure last year, they weren't like Herbert's, obviously they weren't that dramatically different than what he did in the pocket. But he's still, you look at that, watch that offense. There are a lot of big plays that come just because he's making stuff happen. Yep. And that is a skill. He has the physical ability to do that, but it's occasionally hard to rely on that stuff all the time. And I also think that their receiving talent does a lot for them as well, where Diggs is just really, really good. You watch that offense, they're doing some interesting stuff, but the talent of those players really lifts them in a lot of different ways. And I'm just curious if that's going to be able to continue this year. I have faith that it can because I'm the biggest Stephon Diggs fan there is. And I also think Josh Allen's pretty good. Yeah. I think people are big fans of what Buffalo's doing overall. They've had good continuity there. Dayball stayed there, you know, uh, and, and so there's a nice just sort of, you know, nurturing of, of bringing along of him. Um, and maybe that's another reason why, hey, we'll see it. Well, let's see it. Let's see it again. You know, it, he's in a pretty good situation. Diggs helped a lot. There wasn't the level of skepticism on him that there has been in the past because of his decision making. You know, he he made a lot of bad decisions before. And I wondered if that would come out of his game. And I think it's still always going to be there a little bit. Like I said, the 18 yard sack in a at the end of the wild card playoff game. You, you can't do that. You can't take an 18-yard sack and fumble the ball. It just can't. It's, Drew Brees doesn't do it. Rodgers doesn't do it. You just can't. And he used to do that 10 times a year, and now he did it three times a year or whatever. You know what I mean? It's funny because his game, he's very smart. And I think that's something that people don't really understand if you don't talk to him or talk to people that have worked with him before. And some of the protection stuff that he's able to do and some of the control that he has, he's an advanced quarterback when it comes to the mental stuff, but then he makes these kind of boneheaded decisions. And it's almost Rivers-esque in the way that when you talk to people about him, they think he's, I mean, Rivers is a genius. It's a a different level. But then you have these crushing mistakes that don't seem to align with that sort of football intelligence. Yeah, think of it like there's, you know, Carson Wentz has that too, where he just can't, you know, he, he can't help himself sometimes. And yep. I think Josh Allen did a better job of helping himself last year. He still has that in him. You know, it's sort of like a that Captain Chaos gene is still there for sure. It's like a, a boxer who just can't help but just opening up and throwing some haymakers, right? You're <laughs> gonna take one on the chin, but sometimes he's okay with that. Like he's just gonna drop to a knee and hop back up, you know. <laughs> but when you have more stopping power than pretty much anyone in the world, you yeah. tend to believe in that and have a lot of faith in that. And he yeah. is as physically talented as pretty much any quarterback we've seen come along. Yep. Let's stick in tier two here with one of Josh Allen's draft mates and another guy like Josh Allen, who's looking for an extension here relatively soon. And that's Lamar Jackson. If you look at it, he is squarely in tier two, 38 of his votes went that way. He had 16 tier one votes last year, only four this year. And I think that's fascinating. And I think it kind of speaks to where we are with Lamar Jackson because in 2019, he takes the league by storm, right? He's the most yep. exciting player in the league. He wins the MVP. It feels like there's this paradigm shift in a way of what we might look for at the position. In 2020, 
The Ravens run into some roadblocks. Teams figure them out a little bit. They hit some of the same issues that seem to plague the Harbaugh-era Niners with Greg Roman and Colin Kaepernick near the end of their time there. Now, this offseason, you bring in Sammy Watkins, you draft a shot Bateman, and you'd hope that with a little bit more help in the passing game, with an entire offseason to maybe expand it a bit in the way they couldn't last year, we see a better version of their passing offense and a better version of Lamar Jackson. It feels like he's kind of hard to pin down right now because of this trajectory and these little vacillations. And that's why we see him in tier two the way he is at this moment. Yeah. And that's the challenge. You see, most people don't think that adding that receiver uh, firepower will fundamentally change who they are through Greg Roman or uh, Lamar Jackson. So they don't think it's going to be a Josh Allen situation where you add digs and take off. They think the limitations for better or worse are going to be there. Let's read the definition of tier two, because I think it fits Lamar Jackson really well. A tier two quarterback can carry his team sometimes, but not as consistently. He can handle peer passing situations and doses, which I don't think people think that Lamar can and or and or possesses other dimensions that are special enough to elevate him above tier three. There's no question in my mind that he has that right. He has a hole or two in his game. And I think you can see that with Lamar Jackson. It's a little bit of a hole here overcome by this amazing superpower that he has. And that would be the debate. Is that so special that he should just be in tier one anyway? When he won MVP, I think more people said, you know what? He doesn't fit your tier one definition exactly, but damn it, this guy's so freaking amazing. And the other yeah. areas that I'm putting him there, he's the MVP of the league. What do you want? They wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff without him. Now that you see it not be quite at the MVP level and you, and and maybe you're saying, okay, it's like once you succeed and get to a certain level, then people want to, then you're measured against that. You know, when you come in with no expectations and you get to here, it's unbelievable. But now they want this, okay, well, how come you're not here with Rogers, right? And it's almost an unfair type thing because we should, he's seventh in the league right now. I mean, that's, that's pretty dang good. There's a lot of guys who never go higher than that. That's where I'm sitting with this is that it's okay to be a really high two tier two quarterback for your entire career. Like yes. your team can win the Super Bowl with you virtually every single year if you're a high tier two quarterback. And by that definition that you laid out, it's exactly what he is. Yeah. And at this point, that's okay. Also, he's incredibly young. He's very early in his career. It makes sense for him to have holes in his game. He works even at if it. you think he can get a little bit better. So it's not surprising to me at all. I just think that watching where we are on him and watching the conversation change and the expectations and everything else. I think this is a huge year for their offense, not make or break anything like that. I'm just very excited to watch it and what this stage of him and that passing game looks like and what this conversation looks like a year from now and next summer. They've won like 75 or 80% of their games when he started. It's not too bad. And they're, you know, they're, they've been top five or 10 on defense and they're a good special team. Those things help, but the offense has played a big role in that. And he's played a huge role in that. And we shouldn't forget that while, while focusing on why he's not in tier one. That's exactly what you're saying. If you look at it, I mean, I know that people treated as though the sky was falling last year for them offensively. They were still 17th in passing DVOA and 11th in offensive DVOA overall. Yeah. This wasn't a bad offense. Mm. There were some frustrating moments because of the expectations heaped on them. Yeah. But this is still an objectively good offense that I think can get a little bit better. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I, I'm anxious to see it too. You know, um, and we'll see. I mean, he. I sort of feel like this is where he's going to be. I think that makes total sense. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Maybe there's a few more tier one votes next year. Instead of four, maybe it's eight. But for the most part, he belongs in tier two. That wouldn't surprise me at all.
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Stafford got the exact same vote distribution as yes. Lamar. Four tier one votes, 38 tier two votes, eight tier three votes. And so obviously it's been a very Matthew Stafford centric offseason. He owned the early part of the news cycle with the trade. And when you look at some of the quarterback rankings that have come out over the last couple months, he's like in the top five in some of these by virtue of just changing teams. I will say he's a tiny bit higher in the rankings for you this year. But the vote distribution is pretty much the same that it was last year. He seems to be one of those guys that the league has always valued a little bit higher than the general public solely because of how talented he is. No doubt. Traits based. Like all the offensive guys in the league, they just want, man, I wish I could work with them. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, like, you know, if you're a car guy and you've got a Camaro in your garage, but the guy across the street has a Ferrari, you know? You're like, oh, dude, man, if I could drive that Ferrari, I mean, it can The Camaro's nice, but man, yeah. one more notch would be great. One more notch because I am so good. I can get the most out of this thing. This guy doesn't even doing it right. I mean, you can't. It's sitting in the garage the whole time. Yeah, you can't put a turbo on that thing. You know, whatever. So, um, yeah, Stafford is liked, not loved. I mean, I think everyone agrees that, look, if he was truly a tier one quarterback, they would have won a playoff game during that time just because of the sheer will of it. But the other hand of it, I'm, I'm just looking at here, the highest they've ranked on defense and special teams for EPA in his entire career, he's had three seasons when he was the primary starter where they've ranked in the top half of the league, okay? And they won 9, 10, and 11 games. The rest of the time, they ranked between 17 and 32, and the average was 26. So it's been unusually bad around him. He's had to overcome more from a winning standpoint. And I think people are now thinking, okay, you're going to go and be have a better defense with you, and you're going to maybe win a playoff game. Now, that said, I believe, there's a great quote in the piece, what they what the Rams did is like firing your coach after you go eight and eight. You better go nine and seven. They won a playoff game last year. I know. That's a really high bar. So are they going to advance and further with Stafford this year? I don't know how much of how much you would you want to bet. I think their offense will be better. I think their offense will be significantly better and significantly more dynamic at the very least. I, I agree. At watching their offense, and we talked about this a little bit with Lindsay yesterday, but bringing in Kevin Carberry from Stanford, I think their running game will look a lot different. I think there'll be more gap scheme runs. I think it'll be more diverse. The amount of speed they added this offseason feels like a declaration of intent. It's like we know that we were not explosive or aggressive enough over the last two years, we need that aspect back to our offense. I think that you're going to see a different version of what they are. And I think that it's going to be successful by virtue of that increased aggression and that explosive element they've lacked over the last couple of seasons. I don't necessarily think their team success will be better though, because I don't, their, their defense last year was the best in the league comfortably. And that is not going to happen this year. And their guy left, Brandon Staley left. He did a great job. Even if he was back, 
I yeah. still don't think it would happen just by virtue of math and, and what we've seen in history. It's very, very hard to sustain that level of success defensively. Now yeah. you lose Brandon Staley, you lose John Johnson, you lose Troy Hill. These are not the most important players on that defense, but it still is a lesser unit than it was at the end of last season in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. So I think they may be a similar team in terms of success with their record, how far they get in the playoffs, all that, even if their offense to me looks a lot different and is significantly better. What if Detroit had a better offensive line than the Rams and here Stafford is finally with the Rams? <laughs> I mean, I think they can scheme around that. I'm kind of kidding, but uh, I, I like, I love the move. I mean, I, I, I just selfishly, we want to see Stafford in a different element and with, with quote unquote better coaching and better stuff around them. And uh, this removes some of those excuses that aren't, I mean, they're reasons as much as they're excuses, but I tend to think that there's a little bit of projection with Stafford in this exercise every year, but especially this year, because if you look at his rankings early in his career and early in this, not early in his career, but early in this exercise, 14, 15, he was like 12th or 13th. And over the last couple of years, he's firmly in the top 10, which There's not really a reason for that. Like his, well, he played much better in 2019. There but is a it's reason. Still, here's the I'm reason. Joking. What do you think the reason is? Here, here's the reason. Drew Brees retires. Okay. okay. All right. That's River, fine. That's Rivers fair. retires yeah, yeah, yeah. and Roethlisberger goes to tier three. So those are the three guys that would be ahead of him. You're right. For You're the last right. 10 that's years. a good point. And so if they're in there, he's 10th instead of seventh or whatever he is. You know, um, is he seventh, right? He's tied with Lamar, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's seventh. He's yes. seventh tied with Lamar. So that's sort of what happened is some of our higher tier two guys are gone, you know, and that, that, that makes helped sense. Him move up the ranking without really being seen totally differently, but he's, he certainly didn't fall, you know? So the guy right behind him, I think this is another really interesting vote distribution with Dak Prescott, no quarterback in tier two got more tier two votes than Dak Prescott. He had fewer tier three votes than last year. while only playing four and a half games. So it feels like when people, when you ask the question about Dak Prescott in this category, in this, and they people got their ballot, they just wrote in tier two. Every single person just immediately was like two, two, two. Like in their <laughs> minds, Dak Prescott is a tier two quarterback. Yep. And what comprises that? What were the things and the inputs that went into guys saying, you know what? He doesn't belong in tier one. He is firmly in tier two. Yeah, I think he is still overcoming the early career perception of, hey, he had that great sure. line, they ran the ball, um, all that sort of thing. Then you're coming off. I think of, that's exactly right. That's the early. So that's the early context. And remember, you overcome too, like Russell Wilson did, you overcome that all the teams had you in the third round or fourth round or whatever. So there's a little bit of that early in a career. But guys aren't in it as rookies. He's had enough time to come out of that. I think he was uh, potentially trending closer to the tier one, but you throw in a, a major injury. I mean, you know, there, there was no he's still reason. higher than he was last year, only playing four and a half games. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, and it, it, certainly his ranking was higher, but, you know, uh, and, and I'm sure he was higher in his average. I'd, I'd have to look in, in front of me. But some of those guys that were ahead of him, like Wentz was ahead of him. I thought that was yeah. ridiculous last year. It was one spot ahead of him, right? I think Dak was 12th and right Wentz was 11th him. last so year. Yeah. I, I see Dak is just holding firm with, you know, I think it probably helped him that they looked absolutely horrific after he left the lineup last year. I totally agree. You know, that helped him. Um, I think it's optimism. I think people like Dak. I don't think it's a skeptical, you're not a one. I mean, I don't know how you could put him in a one when they've had almost no playoff success, right? A one is going to power you to a little bit more of that. And then he missed the whole, almost the whole season. You know, I think a one is, would be, look who's in the ones. 
Now, I think you could make a case for him being closer to Deshaun Watson, but but those other guys, the Wilsons and the Mahomes and, and, and Rogers, I mean, I think they're a they're a different level of having done it. So I don't think it's any disrespect at all to put him in two. I think he's thought of well. I think so too. I, I just think it's funny that he doesn't even get any tier three votes. Like he is firmly in tier two. I think he got a couple scattered ones, but for the most part, he is a tier two quarterback by the people that you pulled yeah. here. Yeah. And, you know, for, I think for the longest time, like Stafford and Matt Ryan have gotten the most um, tier two votes. Uh, and and maybe now that's going to be a deck. We'll see now because Stafford, Stafford, Stafford's going to move this year, right? Stafford next year is moving one way or the other. He's yeah. inching up or he's coming down because this year is going to expose some of that. So maybe I could see Dak being, I, I could see Dak. I think Dak will have more tier one votes in a year than he has now. I think they're going to be good. I 100% agree. I think that his distribution next year looks like Josh Allen's where it's like 25 and 22 or whatever. And it's really, really close. That would not surprise me at all. I think uh-huh. among uh-huh. the tier two quarterbacks, he has the second best chance of moving up to tier one because the guy with the best chance is the guy who was a rookie last year and got four tier one votes. One of my favorite parts about the quarterback tiers every year. This is mostly rooted in Rogers, but I also think that it applies to other people. It often aligns with my own perception of guys. And I think that's all that really matters here is you just want your priors confirmed (laughs) when it comes to exercises like this. And nowhere is that more true than with Justin Herbert. Right here, firmly in tier two, tied for seventh with four tier one votes, the same number as Lamar and Matthew Stafford. Were you at all surprised by this type of reaction to Justin Herbert's rookie season? A a little bit. I mean, I think he came in a little bit higher uh, than not that I think he doesn't deserve to come in this high, but. Okay, he's only had one year with how many they didn't win. How many people saw the Charger games? Um, what did you think of him coming out? I mean, I just thought there could be possibilities for people to make an excuse for, um, you know, let's just hold off. Let's, let's, you know, he, he hasn't even played in Airhead Stadium when they had fans. I mean, that's part of it, too. I mean, he was his efficiency last year on third and seven to ten was unbelievable on the road. Well, you know, you could find reasons why. No, no, no. Guys were just like one of the great quotes. This is one of my favorite quotes of Justin Herbert. What did our illustrious former Stanford, Arizona, and Minnesota head coach say? Something about crowning their asses? Yes. Go ahead and crown his ass. I think he's going to do it again. He's got juice. He's got attitude. He hasn't hit any adversity yet, so we'll see. But the excitement is really high for Justin Herbert. I mean, he, he sort of showed everything people want to see in, in a tier one guy to the point that it's really, I think, hurting Tua in this thing, too. We'll talk about him maybe later. But like we certainly that will. contrast is... Wow. I get it, though. And here's the reason that I get it. If we're looking at, by definition, the letter of this stuff, if you look at what a tier one quarterback is or even a tier two quarterback, you want to see a guy succeed and be promising independent of the things around him. And there were a lot of aspects of what the Chargers offense was last year, whether it was play distribution, offensive line talent. At times, some of the receiving talent that they have, they were banged up last year. It was Keenan Allen and whoever else they could throw out there when Eckler and Mike Williams were hurt. And he still looked really good. Even if you have some concerns about third and long efficiency or under pressure efficiency or some other aspects of his game, the talent is so undeniable. 
And I think that's what you're betting on. And that's the thing that can stand alone from any of the other supporting qualities, whether it's staff, scheme, receiving, whatever. And that to me is where the excitement in him is rooted. That's why I'm excited about him. So to me, it's not that surprising to see that attitude about him in this moment. I I agree. And a lot of this is really um, finding what the fault or what is the thing that's going to hold a guy back. Right. And you can't really name it on Herbert. He just has only done it one year. Like, what are you worried about? What can't he do? What do you think is going to hold him back from being uh, a tier one guy in the future? I I don't know that there's really a list of things other than it's one season. That's it. I've heard really promising stuff about what this off season has looked like for him and what he's been in those huddles and just the offense that they're installing and everything else. I mean, this is independent of my own excitement about this team and about him, which is sky high. And I will readily admit that I understand it's a blind spot for me, but even in conversations with people about what he has been in that locker room and for that offense already, it it makes me excited about what they might look like. Yeah. I guess the concern is just, you know, chargers organization and uh, you know, the coaching change, that sort of stuff. Uh, You're going to be in a new, you know, have it having a new coordinator who, you know, doesn't have this amazing track record. You know, it's sort of like a little bit, if you have a concern on burrow, it's more about, can they do him justice as opposed to what is he going to do for them? And that's, I think with Herbert, if you're looking for anything as, uh, as a possible, hurdle for him to overcome it's not really him it would just be how good are they going to be in in uh you know the scheming the game and that stuff with people who aren't as established i have faith in that i i really do i think that you can make excuses for what joe lombardi was was in detroit and i think that you can explain it away if you want to and i've chosen to do that i think there are a lot of reasons why you could be more excited about his prospects now than you were that first time around with the lions Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, let's stick with last year's draft class because somebody that I think you believe was ended up a little bit higher than you might have anticipated is Joe Burrow, who is at the bottom of tier two after half of a rookie season. He had 27 tier two votes. Why were you surprised that Burrow ended up this high? The, the, 
optimism and the the love for Joe Burrow was stronger than I thought it would be. Uh, not that I didn't think he was impressive as a rookie, but when you have a catastrophic injury, you're you're in Cincinnati. It wasn't like you just looked at the stats and were like, "Wow," you know. You know what I mean from afar, but. But people who like played you could him, with Herbert, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what did Burrow have? 13 touchdowns, five intercepts, you know, whatever. It, it was fine, but it wasn't like oh, unbelievable production and they won all the games. But people who played him and watched him, but especially who played him, they sort of think they can see a real guy. They can spot a real guy. There's certain things people love about Joe Burrow, like a swagger to him, the way he takes hits and is still looking downfield, the way he gets up, the way the team responds to him, which is a part of Josh Allen too, the way the team responds to him. Totally. Um, not everybody has that, right? I mean, I'll put Kirk Cousins' stat line up against anybody, but you don't feel that when you when you play him, right? And when you play Joe Burrow, people think he's a real guy and uh, are really excited about what he's going to do. They just think, you know, <laughs> Could Cincinnati screw him up? You know, um, possibly that's probably another discussion. But um, one of the guys I quoted in it was like, hey, when we played him, like our guys were coming back to me going, this is a real guy. Like the players were like, you know, the realness of it. They think he's got something special. So that's why he got off of what did he play? 11 games, 27 votes in tier two. And he would be actually be higher. If you, if you look at his average is actually a little bit lower than Derek Carr, who's beneath him. But the way that I do it is you, you're in the tier of where you get the most votes and it's where he should be because he got six fours. No one thinks he's a four. Like the, the, the four definition is a veteran who I don't think I'd want to have start all 16 games. So, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick a couple of years ago or whatever, uh, or not enough information. And so, you know, six times people were like, you talk to 50 people, six times people are like, you know, I, I didn't see enough of him. He's, you know, you, you know what I mean? We didn't see the, the film. I'm just going to give him a four. He only played 11 games. It's totally fair. Yeah. yeah. So he got six fours when no one thinks he's a four for the bad reason. Right. Like, I don't think he should be a starter. No one thinks that the four is just more like, you know, Mahomes was in this his first year after one start. Cause I just wanted to hear what people said. He got a ton of fours. People were like, I think he's going to be a two or a one, but I'm giving him a four. So, so Burrow got, some fours that that is the only reason to me why he's not probably a couple notches higher. He's not getting fours next year. It makes sense to me because with rookie quarterbacks, especially rookie quarterbacks in less than ideal circumstances, let's say that. I think that that team is better than it was a year ago. But last year, you've got whatever 2020 version of A.J. Green is out there. T. Higgins is a rookie, an offensive line with a ton of holes in it. And all you wanted to see from a guy with that supporting cast is, is he real? Like exactly what you're talking about. Is this somebody we want to move forward with? Is this somebody that is promising? And I think he answered that with an emphatic yes. Like there are, are there questions about some aspects of his game, whether it's the arm strength, whatever? Absolutely there are. But I think that he showed more than enough for people both in Cincinnati and outside of Cincinnati to be really, really excited about what he can be. Absolutely. Yep. I'm with you 100%. I think he's sort of where he belonged. I'm glad he he may have had enough to get into tier two because it sort of conveys that message you're saying. Hey, we're saying, the league is saying, this guy's real. It's not, there's less wait and see than you see for some other guys. There's not skepticism on him. So hopefully he's 100% healthy and and they can protect him a little bit. One interesting thing, remember the debate on them of whether they should have taken Penny Sewell to help their offensive line or Jamar Chase, who they ended up taking the receiver. And maybe from 30,000 feet, 
we got to protect the guy. We need to build the fundamentals along the line. But one of the coaches I talked to was like, oh, man, I'm so pissed they took Jamar Chase. Like, he, this is somebody who does defensive game plans, you know, and he's just like, that's going to be really, really good for Joe Burrow. So exciting. Totally makes sense to me. I, I think that the way that they spent their resources this offseason, I understand the argument for Sewell. I made the argument for Sewell, but I get why they went that direction. And I think that they could be a lot better this year and they could be yeah. a lot more fun to watch this year for sure. Yep. So if you look at Burrow and then kind of the line between him and the guys in tier three, a lot of the same guys in tier three. And it's the that Cousins, Goff, Garoppolo, Baker, Mayfield sort of grouping that has existed over the last couple of years. I think it's interesting that Baker got twice as many tier three votes pretty much as he got tier two votes. The league is absolutely not sold on what the Browns did offensively yeah. last year, what Baker was down the stretch. Yeah, but I mean, there's a little more nuance than that to it, Rob. So here's what I think. I don't think there's a negativity surrounding Baker. I think that when you play in that offense, we're all trying to figure out how much credit to give the quarterback or blame. And I think people look at that situation. It's kind of like what happened to Jared Goff. Jared Goff was in a terrible situation, like the worst you could have. And then he went into the best where suddenly Gurley's on fire. You got this enterprising schemer and Sean McVay. The offensive line was good. And it was a little bit hard to know, okay, what is Jared Goff really, right? I mean, shoot, they could go to the Super Bowl. They're leading the league in all these categories. But we sort of know there's a lot of play action going on. There's a lot of eye candy. There's a lot of things that are making Jared Goff look better than he is. And I think what happened to Baker Mayfield was unusually bad situation. Uh, the organization was a mess. Then Stefanski and Andrew Berry come in, black out the names. You can't tell Kirk Cousins' stats from tier one guy's stats, right? Because of the offense, though, no one thinks the player's the same. And so that hurts Baker a little bit from getting more tier twos. I think he's another good year away from probably getting more of those to slide in uh, to tier two. But I think people see other things, good offensive line, great job, Stefanski. Some of the credit... Some of Mayfield's credit is going into other areas and not to him until he does it again and again. I think it's this has happened over the last couple of years where you have the guys from that offense all clustered together. And if you look yeah. at the rankings this year, same idea, right? Baker's yeah. 17th, Cousins is 18th, Goff is 19th, Garoppolo is 21st. They're all lumped right in there. The one exception to that this year is that after being the most efficient quarterback in the league over the last two seasons, Ryan Tannehill finally jumps into Tier 2. He has 27 Tier 2 votes, 27 Tier 3. You can't hold it but back it anymore. Took, yeah. It took a lot for him to get up there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think people know whether your team wants to really sort of feature you or, or kind of wants to protect you. And when you're in offenses that run the ball all the time, and Tennessee's one of those too, when Tennessee has to throw the ball all the time, Tennessee's more nervous than the defense. And that's what that that's why Tannehill has moved up more is like, yeah, his production's unbelievable. But everyone knows that the whole defense is looking at Derrick Henry the whole time. And that's affecting the looks that Tannehill gets. Even somebody, even somebody who faced him and liked him probably gave him a two was like when they were coming back on us, it wasn't like he was slicing and dicing. He's just taking what was what we were giving him. You know, it's not as dynamic of uh of an offense, even with those stats. And one of the passages in my piece is Tannehill leads the NFL in yards per attempt over the past two seasons. He has 55 touchdown passes, 11 rushing touchdowns with only 17 turnovers. But stats can mislead. Tannehill, here's your guys. 
Tannehill, Garoppolo, Cousins, they all outrank Mahomes in yards per attempt over the last two years. They're comparable to him in EPA per attempt. They do not inhabit the same planet as Mahomes. That's what I love about this exercise, because I look at the stats, too. I love them. I mean, I look at them. I can kind of have a feel for what it means. But that's not what we're doing. We, we're not I, learning. You know what I mean? We're different. I agree with you. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I, I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. I just think when you look at it, that that's why this exercise is really informative. Because if you look at those numbers, those guys from that system are inherently going to be more efficient. But what does that really mean? And I, I enjoy trying to parse that. So if, if you we, look at it, think of, think of this, go, go into basketballreference.com and find all the guys who average 20 points a game. They're not all the same. <laughs> you know, George Gervin, going back in the day, or Larry Bird or LeBron James averaged 20 points a game differently than some other guy who averaged 20 points a game. And that's what we're doing. So if you look at the rest of tier three, I was a little bit surprised that Jared Goff is firmly entrenched in that group after the season he had last year. I don't know if that's wrong, but I was just surprised that he was relatively unchanged. If you look at it, he had 43 tier three votes. I mean, he is right there with those other guys. He was tied with Carson Wentz, which I actually think is pretty funny that they're linked I like know. that. Love were, you, were you a little bit surprised that Goff didn't fall off more than he, more than he did after last season? No, you know, I, th- I think that he was somebody who was probably uh, ranked – you would have said ranked lower than his production was before because of those things, you know, because of the credit going to others. People are like, wait a minute, McVeigh's calling the plays before the cutoff. Remember all that stuff that, yeah. that, that they were doing, right? Uh, there were already ample reasons not to give Goff more of his due. So he was probably already suppressed a little bit. And then people just look at it as validation that, you know, uh, and, and I think people defended him a little bit too. Like, look, this guy isn't as crappy as they're making him out to be. I don't know what happened there. I mean, this is unusual. How do you sign a guy? And then all of a sudden, it wasn't like they just upgraded to Rodgers. They dumped on him, too. I mean, they, like McVeigh by the Tampa Bay game last year, like it was public that they didn't like him. And that was a weird thing. So people were kind of looking at that by going, wait a minute, he's better than that. This guy makes some great throws. You know, now they do feel like he's going to, you know, go to a little bit of a tough situation where he's not going to necessarily bounce back, but uh, maybe he was just already low and that's why he stayed low. And I think that Wentz's distribution is even more interesting because he has nine tier two votes, nine after the season that that he had last year. And, but he has six tier four votes and that, I mean, that distribution and that range to me just speaks to how many different ways this could go for Carson Wentz in Indianapolis, because there is absolutely a camp that still believes he is salvageable and that he doesn't belong. I mean, you look at where he is in this exercise compared to the people he was next to statistically last year, Sam Darnold, Drew Locke, the worst quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of production. That's where he was last season. And he is drastically higher than them. So do you think that this vote distribution and this range speaks to the faith that some people have that he could put it back together in Indianapolis. Oh yeah. Uh, the people that are putting him at two are saying, I think he's going to be a two this year and I'm putting him in a two now. And I'm just telling you, it's going to happen. It's going to be a much different situation. Uh, he's going to lose 
some of the things, you know, some of the burden of being the, the a top two pick in Philadelphia and all his expectations is going to go into a much more favorable, easier to handle market with a coach who knows them well, with a good defense, you know, with a good offense, a good offensive line. They'll be able to replicate some of the stuff that Philadelphia had going when he, you know, played to an MVP candidate level before he was injured. So doesn't that, that make him a tier three quarterback, though, if all of those different aspects are well, what are important in making him successful? Well, yes, unless you think they were so unusually bad that it it made a two play like a four. I'm with you. I think that Carson Wentz has been overrated the whole time. Um, I feel like they had a lot of great context around him that year that they went to the Super Bowl. And the fact that another guy just stepped in and won the whole thing kind of validates that, doesn't it? Um, I don't think I am shocked he was 11th last year. When I went back and I looked at those rankings, I was shocked. I was shocked then. I was shocked then. I'm like, if if you asked me a year ago, maybe we, you know, you probably did. What's one thing that stands out to you? I, I was like, how can Carson Wentz be a notch ahead of Dak Prescott? I don't see it at all. So I think he's somebody – I can remember I was when I was working at ESPN when he came into the league, I would go to John Gruden's quarterback camp. And, like, you know, John can be excited about you and me as a prospect. He can get excited <laughs> about anybody. But, like, that was, like, the most excited of anybody that – you know, I went there for five or six years. I saw the, I saw the excitement on camera and off camera. That was, like, as excited – like, he got really excited about Carson Wentz. And I feel like the league did that. And I feel like there's something missing with them. I mean – that thing we're talking about, the way that, um, you know, Burrow or Josh Allen connect with their guys, that's part of this. I feel like he doesn't do that with the whole team. I, I feel like there's a there's a sort of a an off-puttingness almost to him a little bit or he, a failure to, to, to connect with everybody. Then he has a fatal flaw to me. He can't live to play another down. He yeah. has to always try to do the impossible. Well, that's not quarterbacking. That's talent, but so if he doesn't do it this year, I mean, he has to be a four to me. I tend to agree with that. And I think that if we're talking about the quarterback experiments and the quarterbacks changing teams and what those circumstances are going to dictate and everything else, the two that are the most interesting to me are Wentz and Darnold because these are two teams that have made big bets on their ability to fix these guys, right? The Broncos know what Teddy Bridgewater is. They're not, they're not under any illusion that Teddy Bridgewater is somebody that can turn it around and become their starting quarterback for the next five years. I think the Colts and the Panthers both believe that to a certain extent. And we're going to have to see it with both of those guys. Because if you watch once last year, I think the live to play another down thing is exactly right. And that manifested in the sacks. He just could not get rid of the ball and refused to get rid of the ball. And took 50 how many, he only played 12 games. Yes. He uh, took it's 50. He took 50 sacks last year, and that to me is the most important thing. Is is he just broken? Is is he just short-circuited between the ears where he's not going to be able to function at the position anymore because of what we saw him do when having to deal with pressure? I think he absolutely could turn it around. I believe in the Colts infrastructure and in Frank yeah. Reich and all of that stuff, but that's still a big, big ask. That's the first stop I'm making. I will be there. You guys listen to this on Wednesday. I will be in Indianapolis, or I guess in Warren or wherever their their camp is. I will be there today watching that team, and I cannot wait 
to, I know it's the first couple of days of practice, but just what the news is out of there, what he looks like, everything else. I mean, that to me is one of these stories of this entire training camp period. I'm with you. And, you know, it's been, it's been sort of a happy place there um, in India. I think everybody, lo- everybody loves the, the, the job that they've done and, 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 you know, putting that team together and everybody sort of likes Frank Reich and Chris Bauer and these guys, but that owner ain't waiting forever. Okay. That, this is uh, it. And, I mean, this is the there, bet they made. And there had to be debates in that building this offseason. Stafford was available. What should we do? You think, you know what I mean? And Frank Wright got, obviously got his guy. And I'm sure, uh, I think that's who Chris Ballard wanted too. But you know, there had to be people in that building. There were other options they could have done. If Carson Wentz is crap this year and Matt Stafford's in the Super Bowl or those types of things, or Sam Darnold has an amazing season and Carson Wentz is terrible. The tenor of Indy changes, I believe. I completely agree. I mean, this is it. This is the bet they've the made. Deal. They were they were waiting to see what the bet was going to be. Post Andrew Luck, they were biding their time. Obviously, Rivers was a stopgap. They chose not to make any big splashy moves in last year's draft, I think in part because they didn't believe in the physical skill sets of some of those quarterbacks picked in the top 10. It would have taken a lot to go up and get them. And now this is the bet they made. They chose to go all in on Carson Wentz, and we're going to see if they can resurrect his career. I mean, it is one of the biggest questions associated with this NFL season to me. Absolutely, yeah. I, I can't can't wait to see it. I'm a little, I mean, I'm excited for him, for it, but I'm a little, I'd be a little nervous for them too. I mean, I just after watching I, Carson Wentz last year, I'd be very yeah. nervous if I were yeah, them. Yeah, but I'm. It's fascinating. Yeah. Speaking of teams that probably should be a little bit nervous. Tua Tagovailoa is 29th in this exercise. He had 44 tier four votes, which is pretty much the same as Jalen Hurts. Is that to you a product of not having enough information or do people think that he belongs in tier four in this category? Uh, Definitely a healthy part of not enough information. But on top of that, I'm not feeling great about it because if you don't have enough information, but you love the guy, You'll do what some people will do. They're, you're like with Burrow, uh, for example. With Burrow, for example, right? If if they saw some of that, um, he'd be way higher. I think there's real worry. And when if I were to ask you or anyone this question, what special trait does he have? What's the answer? What are you hoping he's pretty, he becomes? He's pretty quick twitch. I mean, he can get rid, he gets rid of the ball well. I think that some of the accuracy stuff is pretty encouraging, but it's not a long list. He does not have that many elite physical category, elite physical traits. I will say that. So, you know, cuz cuz one of the some of the comments in here was like, you know, they weren't all in on Tom Brady, right? They they didn't they could have had Herbert, right? They could have done a lot of other things. And they're a team that has gotten a lot of sort of positive press for acquiring assets and all this, but those become players and we can make a debate. Would they have a better chance this year with Tua or Fitzpatrick? You could debate that. We saw it last year. (laughs) We saw it last year. That's a little scary. So I would like there to be from a Miami standpoint, a little bit more excitement of like, okay, here are the three things I cannot wait to see from Tua this year. Instead, we're like, geez, the, the coordinator had a three-year deal. He retired or resigned, right? Now that could be, maybe it's hard to work there. I don't know what's going on, but you don't see guys giving up on their contracts with 
with Herbert or Burr or these other guys, right? I mean, what is there to feel great about? Then he also is a little bit of a flatliner, right? He's a little got a little Flacco to him, a little Marcus Mariota to him, right? There's not a lot of you don't just perceive the juice with him. Like he's not going in there and captivating this team. Like they lost their mojo when Fitzpatrick had that. I think you could talk yourself into the idea that that's because Fitzpatrick is so far the other way that it seems like a huge letdown with Tua. But I just sort of feel like I, I want to see a little, you know, we're trying to sort of start a campfire here and I want to see some sparks. Yeah. And the, the paper that we're trying to light feels a little wet right now. Maybe that's unfair, but like, what are you excited about? What excites you about that situation? Because remember, we got Josh Allen in the division. We got Mac Jones coming in. We got uh, Zach Wilson, by the way. What are we're going into battle with with Tua? Sell me on why this is a great thing. I think that it starts with the supporting cast and what they put around him this year. If you're going to get excited about it, and I and I don't necessarily believe this, but I think if you're trying to build the case, you build the case with. Look at the receiving talent that we have now. Look at Will Fuller. We drafted Jalen Waddle in the first round. This can be an explosive offense. We don't need him to do everything. I, I think agree. that's where it starts. But I think there are plenty of things on the other side of this because, like you said, you have an offensive coordinator that resigned after one year. And I think that's a little bit more complicated than just that's not Tua. Than just that, Tua. That's, I, that's definitely a guy not who, just he, Tua. He was out of the league. Channing Gale was out of the league for a while. I think it took a big overture to get him back in. And I don't know how much he wants to be there exactly long-term anyway. There. I'm not holding yeah. that against Tua, uh, but, but it's sort of another, it's not good for Tua. It doesn't no. help and him. Now they have two offensive coordinators, the team both responded oh. to and played better with Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. There are a lot of negatives in that column. If you're trying to build the case against it, I think it's an uphill battle for him to be good this year. I th- believe it can happen. But I definitely have my doubts, and I think those doubts are built into where he falls on this list. Right, and and I feel like he more than some of these other guys needs things to be right around him, right? Because we're we're not seeing necessarily the tier one traits, unless he's going to be this unbelievable accurate processor, Drew Brees. That's possible. Again, high degree of difficulty. Threading that yeah. needle is not easy in more ways than one. Yeah, that's really hard to do, and it's unrealistic to expect it to happen. You know, right away. I just feel like that's a that's a potential playoff team that may be, dare I say, looking for a quarterback in a couple of years, unless we see something this year, right? Don't you? Don't you? I mean, let's say you have that team in place, right? I know this is unfair to Tua. It's just, he played like half a season last year, but you have this team in place that you're really it's excited so unfair, about. And we're I, just it's, totally, I, I know it's, just, it's but ridiculous. We feel, but it. We, we feel it. This is why we're it, saying it's, it. it's the exact opposite of the feeling with Burrow. Where when you look at it, you know it. It would too. We're having the exact opposite reaction. Where when you look at it, you have these doubts and you don't know it. And I think that's the thing with with Herbert and with Burrow. It was so clear that it's influencing the way that we think about Tua. But let's play this hypothetical out a little bit. Let's say we still feel the same way six months from now that we do in this moment, where we have these doubts. And you have this roster that you feel really good about because of the resources that they've stockpiled and how many draft picks they've had and everything else. What if Russell Wilson is available? 
What I mean, what it, what it, it, do you are you one of these teams that feels like we need to upgrade? Yes. And again, I know that's unfair to Tua oh, at absolutely. this stage, but the, I would not be surprised if we were living in that world next February. Yeah, I think uh, I think Philly with all of their draft picks will be may have the ammo, you know, to be that team to do that even more. But uh, uh, no doubt, you have to do that. Uh, there's no doubt. That, I mean, look, they like I said, they. Do you think they should have been in on Tom Brady more? You know what I mean? Or, or that sort of a thing that they've had some chances here on other people. You've got to keep, if, if you can go from an unknown who were not that excited about the Russell Wilson, I mean, there's a lot of teams that should do that. I think that they, I, I, I can't speak to their process or their thought, their thinking here, but they had a plan. Right, they were going to stockpile all these picks. They had a top five pick in a draft where they were going to be able to get one of those quarterbacks. That was their plan, and I think that getting off that plan when you liked him pre-draft is difficult. It, it, they it made sense for them to stick with it. Now maybe they're having some regrets, but I really love that we ended this podcast by throwing dirt on Tua Tagovailoa's career after he started like six games. I know it's just it's everything we believe people shouldn't do, but we couldn't help ourselves today. <laughs> that's that's how it works. Mike Sando, thank you very much for doing this. Guys, needless to say, go check out the quarterback tiers piece on The Athletic. It is up today. It is indispensable. It is one of my favorite things to read every single year. It is the perfect reason to get an athletic subscription if you do not have one. So either go to The Athletic and click on the QB tiers piece or go to theathletic.com slash football show and get your subscription before you start reading it. You will not regret it. This is, in my opinion, the perfect way to kick off training camps opening today, to kick off the start of the NFL season in a lot of ways. Mike, thank you very much for doing this. Always love your insight when it comes to this. Hey, thanks so much, and we'll talk again soon. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. As I mentioned yesterday, we're coming to you three times a week all through training camp. Nate and I will be back on Friday. And then it will be Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, all the way through August into the start of September. Very excited about the stuff we have coming. I'm in Indy today. I will be in Cleveland tomorrow. We're back. The NFL season, in some ways, is already here. And I cannot tell you how excited I am for that. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you on Friday. This was The Athletic Football Show.